Hi, everyone, and welcome to RX Rounds, a podcast that focuses on health education in the Caribbean community. I am your host, Alandra Mitchell. Hi, everyone, welcome back to RX Rounds. We are back with another episode catering to a vulnerable population, the elderly. In this episode, we'll be discussing dementia with a geriatrician, Dr. Rhea Roberts. Dr. Roberts is originally from the Caribbean islands of St. Vincent and the Grenadines and later pursued her medical school education at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. She recently completed her general internal medicine residency training at Yale New Haven Hospital and is currently the clinical geriatric fellow at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Roberts is committed to serving the elderly population and their caretakers. Hey, Dr. Roberts. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to talk to you today about dementia because I think a lot of people don't really know very much about this um, particular disease state. But tell us a little bit about where you're from, what you do, and things like that. Sure. So as you already introduced, I'm Dr. Rhea Roberts. I am currently a geriatric fellow at Harvard Medical School, particularly the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and also the Brigham and Women Hospital. Um, so a little bit more about me. I'm originally from the Caribbean islands of St. Vincent and the Grenadines, uh, in particular the leeward side of the island, um, Lomans Hill. Uh-huh. And I spent half of my life in St. Vincent and half of my life since I migrated to the U.S. So in St. Vincent, I attended the Lomans Leeward Anglican School, which was my primary school, then passed the common entrance exam, which is throughout the Caribbean. I think they changed the name now. <laughs> um, and I went to the St. Vincent Girls High School. Um, upon completion of uh, my education from SVG um, Girls High School, I came to the U.S. And since, you know, in the U.S., you kind of don't finish high school until 18. And I was 16, so I went back to high school for two years in the U.S., And then, so it was Manhattan Comprehensive High School. And then I graduated as valedictorian, then went on to college at Brandeis University, where I obtained my degree in biology. After that, I spent some time doing research at Harvard Medical School, developing a conjugate vaccine for the prevention of tularemia, um, which is a disease caused by rodents, and it can cause... um, pneumonia and it can be deadly and then after that I went to George Washington University um, School of Medicine and Health Sciences where I obtained my medical degree then went on to Yale New Haven Hospital to obtain my training in internal medicine general internal medicine and then upon completion of that now I'm a fellow at Harvard Medical School so sorry that was a long trajectory that was my journey Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about your fellowship now. Yeah. So as a a geriatrician or geriatric fellowship, so geriatricians are um, doctors who specialize in caring for the elderly. So people ages 65 and older, 
and we focus on complex medical comorbidities or medical problems that gets a little bit more difficult to manage as people age. Also, we spend a lot of time managing and helping people with dementia and also assisting their family members. Um, so I really like this field because I feel like it's so important to give back to the vulnerable population and care for those who cared for us when we were smaller. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that because I really think we owe it to the elderly population to take care of them, especially as you said, care for them because they cared for us for how many years, right? I agree. So most people are familiar with Alzheimer's dementia. So can you tell us exactly what dementia is? So in order to be diagnosed with dementia, there must be two components. So there must be what we call a neurocognitive decline, which means that multiple areas of the brain, including the memory center is affected. Also, there must be functional decline, which means people will lose their independence in doing things for themselves. So we um, break up functional decline into um, activities of daily living and instrumental activities of daily living. So activities of daily living include stuff like being able to dress oneself, being able to eat independently or by oneself, um, being able to bathe oneself. Um, instrumental activities of daily living include things like being able to answer the telephone, being able to manage the finances, being able to do grocery shopping or cook for oneself. So in order to be diagnosed with dementia, there must also be um, a decline in function. So either the ADLs, activities of daily living, and IADLs, instrumental activities of daily living, must also be impaired, not just have the memory impairment. And that's what differentiates dementia from mild cognitive disorder, which I'll talk more about in a little bit. Okay. So tell us what the geriatrician's approach to dementia is. So yeah. So as a geriatrician, we like to look at every aspect, um, not just, you know, the physical exam. We, we spend a lot of time thinking about how some, someone's past medical history, how their social history, how their family history can also play into, you know, their disease process. And especially in dementia, looking at the past medical history, we look at specific diseases that can put you at risk for certain types of dementias. So, you know, having what we call vascular risk factors, which is diseases such as um, diabetes, high blood pressure, hyperlipidemia, or bad cholesterol, as we say in the Caribbean, um, those all put you at increased risk for having strokes and a stroke can lead to a type of dementia called, called vascular dementia. Um, also, you know, getting a family history because having a family history of Alzheimer's dementia also increases one's risk for developing Alzheimer's dementia. Also, we take some time thinking about the social history, such as whether or not the patient um, has a limited exercise or isn't physically active at all because uh, studies have shown that increased physical activity decreases one risk. So if you're more sedentary and not really moving about, that can also be a potential risk factor for dementia. 
also whether or not you know the type of diet you're eating having fatty unhealthy high salt food also is high risk for dementia um i'll put you at risk for dementia and we actually recommend the mediterranean diet which is a low salt diet um, which has been found to decrease one's risk for dementia also living by oneself so social isolation as we call it can also increase one's risk for dementia so it's especially important to have family members or just someone else around who can engage you cognitively so you can have a conversation with them and that will just continue to help stimulate the mind um, also like a substance use disorder so having a history of tobacco use because tobacco use can also um, play into that vascular risk factor I spoke about and increase your risk of strokes and stuff like that. And also alcohol use, because we know that alcohol can also specifically damage what we call the mammillary bodies, which is a specific, the specific part of the brain that is responsible for memory. And alcohol can directly damage that and cause memory impairments. So those are like the broad different aspects that we we look into in order to make this diagnosis so it's pretty complex it's not just you know memory decline yeah right it seems like it's a very comprehensive approach even involving patient care and having family members and things like that so i think that's really important um so you talked about the functional aspect as well as the cognitive or memory aspect of dementia tell us how would you diagnose the patient yeah so like even if someone comes in like if a family member brings in a loved one to my clinic and I'm um, assessing whether or not, you know, they tell me most likely the patient had um, memory problems for a prolonged period of time. You, you, in addition to obtaining all that past medical history and social history stuff that I just spoke about, we also do a physical exam because the physical exam can also give you clues about what's going on with the patient. So especially sometimes you can just look at the patient and you can learn a lot about their, nutri their nutritional status. So like if you look at a patient and you see they have like significant weight loss, they look very thin and frail, that can also give you insight about, you know, their ability to take care of themselves and eat properly. Um, we also look at their head, nose, mouth, um, eyes. So even having cataracts, um, in your eyes can also give us insight about the fact that you might not be able to um, live an independent life. You might not be able to walk independently just because you have visual um, impairment or issues seeing. Also, we will assess your thyroid gland because we know that different thyroid diseases can cause memory impairment both hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism, so low and high thyroid states can affect your memory and cognition. We do a comprehensive oral exam, also look at the mouth to see if, whether or not the patient has any dentures or caries or no teeth at all, because if you don't really have any teeth, we know that you cannot really maintain a good nutritious, nutritious diet. So that's also something that we look at. We listen to the heart listens for whether or not the heart rate is irregular because that can also give us insight about you know what's really going on medical wise for the patient we listen to your lungs 
because sometimes not being able to breathe properly um, will result in what we call hypoxia, which is a low oxygen state. And hypoxia can also affect mentation or your ability to think clearly. Um, we assess the abdominal cavity or the GI system as we call it and specifically look for any signs of liver disease because we know that liver disease can result in what we call hepatic encephalopathy and that can also cause you to be a little bit altered, can affect your memory, stuff like that. Then we do a neurological exam. Um, so we will assess for whether or not the patient is alert and oriented, just a general neurological exam, because that will give us insight about whether or not the patient have what we call delirium, which is altered level of consciousness and inability to pay attention that's specific for delirium versus dementia because delirium is more acute whereas dementia is more of a chronic or prolonged process um, and then we also assess your mood your mood is very important because even sometimes if you are suffering from depression that can lead to what we call called um, pseudo dementia so sometimes when you're so depressed that can also affect your memory and cognition. So it's very important to rule out depression, particularly in the elderly, before we diagnose someone with dementia. Wow. So it sounds like because, you know, the mind is something you can't really see and measure, you're using a lot of other um, techniques to rule out other things. Is that yeah, right? It's, it's, very, it's very important to rule out other um, metabolic diseases, or other psychiatric diseases before you come on this diagnosis of dementia. And like some of the laboratory work we will send, we will send like um, just basic blood work to rule out, you know, anemia, cancer, infectious causes. Um, also um, what is called a complete metabolic profile. The um, complete metabolic panel um, <laughs> because sometimes different electrolytes derangement. So having too much salt or sodium or too little sodium that can also affect the way you're thinking. Even if your calcium level is too high, that can also affect the way you're thinking. And again, as I previously alluded to, the liver function test to see if there's any liver disease that we need to rule out. Um, again, back to the thyroid function tests, um, we always want to rule out any thyroid diseases. We also um, recommend sending like a vitamin D level since vitamin D deficiency is also implicated um, in memory um, disorders. Also vitamin B complex, so particularly vitamin B12 because that's also um, can be seen in memory loss and psychosis. In particular, people with diabetes, we we'll want to check their glucose level because if it's either too high or too low, that can also affect um, the way you're maintaining. And even people who have HIV and syphilis, so there is something called HIV dementia, which is a late manifestation of HIV, but we will only um, send testing for HIV and syphilis if there is significant risk factors. So we won't just send that on everyone, but if we feel like the patient had 
um, unhealthy sexual practices and are high risk for those diseases, we will definitely test them, especially with syphilis because syphilis, the test that we use can be falsely elevated in the elderly. Um, so there's caution in sending that one. Also, like if someone had a specific diagnosis of Lyme disease, which is a tick-borne illness, um, later on, you can also have um, mental manifestation of Lyme disease. So if that was in the patient's past medical history, we can also rule out for Lyme disease. Um, and if there's concern for meningitis or any type of CNS, um, central nervous system infection, we can do what we call a lumbar puncture to check and make sure that there's no in active infection. And also the CBC are complete. Um, uh, so the CBC can also let us know whether or not the white blood cell is too high in the blood. And that can also lead us to an infectious cause for what's causing this acute mental disturbance. We can also send a urine test um, because a UTI or urinary tract infection, especially in the elderly, can definitely lead to what we call delirium and just changes in the mental status. And then lastly, we recommend at least having one brain imaging, so a non-contrast um, CT scan or MRI, just so that we can see if there's any um, specific changes um, in the brain that can lead us more to the diagnosis of dementia. So I know this was an exhaustive list of <laughs> different things that you have to, uh, uh, we try to rule out before coming to this diagnosis of dementia, but it's um, especially important since some of these things can be reversed by just treating them. Hmm. So as we age, we just, in general, lose some cognitive there's there are some cognitive impairments i know for me i feel like every day i'm forgetting stuff a lot easier <laughs> so i can't imagine for our elderly population so right. how do we differentiate between that just age associated um cognitive decline compared to uh dementia as you mentioned earlier right so like again we can do a screening test uh, we specifically like using the Montreal Cognitive Assessment or the MOCA test. I know like the president recently took this test and was talking about it. Um, so again, this test, it's about, it takes about 10 minutes. It's a screening tool and they focus on different cognitive domains, which I'll get into a little bit and see if there's any um, defects in any of those cognitive domains. Um, so if to, to get back to your question and differentiating between just mild cognitive disorder and dementia. So if someone scores about 18 and above, it's out of 30, then that's mostly considered a mild cognitive disorder. Um, but scoring above 26, that's just like normal cognition for, you know, a particular age but less than 18 and having the functional decline because you can't really diagnose dementia without that functional decline aspect as well, then that leads more towards a dementia. Um, so that's what we'll normally use. And then 
talking more about the cognitive domains that this test or the MOCA test um, actually focuses on. Um, so there's six different cognitive domains that I'm going to tell you about very briefly. So the first one is perceptual ability. And this is our ability to visualize stuff in um, 3D or 2D. So on the MOCA test, we'll have someone draw us a cube or replicate the diagram of a cube. We will also have them connect like numbers to letters in an ascending order. So like A will go to one, then one will go to B, then B will go to two and stuff like that to see if they can just like um, follow that along and that um, gives us insights into that. Then we test for language. Language is another um, major cognitive domain. So both the expressive and receptive language. So in expressive language, the ability to name things, the ability to find words to say and how fluent you are when you speak. We also take that into account. Then learning and memory. So that tests both the long-term and short-term memory. So immediate um, and long-term memory. So for an example of this, we will have, we will tell the patient uh, a long sentence. Well, it's not really long, but like a moderate length sentence and have them repeat the sentence of verbatim after we say the entire sentence to get a better sense about whether or not the patient is able to remember or recall everything that they just heard. So that's mm -hmm. their short-term memory. And then for like more like the long-term memory, at the beginning of the test, we will give them a few words, like five different words, administer the entire test, and then ask them to recall those five words at the beginning of the test to see if they remember any of the words that were given. Um, another functional uh, cognitive domain is social recognition, and this focuses on how people process stores and apply information in a social setting, just seeing how you interact with each other. Um, another cognitive domain is called complex attention, and this is the domain that allows us to multitask. Um, and I know that this is something that, you know, gets more difficult as we age. Um, and just seeing how you respond to multiple stimuli at one time. And then the last cognitive domain is called executive function. Um, and this assesses someone's um, level of thinking and decision making. So in dementia, you know, multiple aspects of those cognitive domains are also affected. And that also helps to differentiate just between a mild memory impairment and dementia. Mm. So you talk about those functional aspects. Um, what other symptoms that may not necessarily be related to memory are associated with dementia? Yeah, so there's also like behavioral and psychological symptoms that can be associated with dementia. Um, these include delusions, which are like fixed beliefs about something that is not true. Um, there can also be hallucinations, which is false visions, or hearing imaginary voices or things that are not there. Um, some patients can become very agitated or aggressive, so they will have, you know, increased anger. Um, and this is also because they become increasingly frustrated as well. Mm -hmm. 
Um, they can have mood symptoms such as anxiety um, or depression. They can have what we call apathy, which is just the loss of interest in anything. So they will just be like, self-faced nothing you know it's very hard to even communicate with them because they're not really reciprocating any type of affection or mood um disinhibition which means they don't really have control over what they're doing they will do just like random stuff move about randomly stuff like that um they can be pacing around which we refer to as aberrant motor behavior there can also be like sleep disturbance or nighttime behavioral disturbances. So sometimes it'll be difficult for them to sleep, only have like short hours of sleep. And also, especially in late stage dementia, there can also be like appetite changes um, and eating issues. So sometimes the patient will just lose interest in even eating altogether. Um, so sometimes you'll need to like really help to feed them and stuff like that just because they have no interest in eating. So those are also some of the behavioral and psychological symptoms that you can see with dementia. Mm. So I want to talk about Alzheimer's dementia since that's something that we commonly hear, especially in the Caribbean. Um, can you speak a little bit more in depth about it? Sure. But before I get to Alzheimer's dementia, I just wanted to touch really briefly on um, some of the other type of dementias because there oh. are other type of dementias. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, so Alzheimer's dementia, that is one of the most common and it, it comprises about 75% of all dementias. And it's most prevalent with age, um, but it's not a part of the normal aging process. So it doesn't mean that as you get older, you're gonna eventually develop Alzheimer's. That is not true. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very clear that people understand that. Um, so having a family history of Alzheimer's increases your risk about two to four times. Um, and if you look um, microscopically, at someone who died of Alzheimer's, you can see like plaques, we call them senile plaques on your fibrillary tangles. Um, and people with Alzheimer's dementia um, typically also presents with the behavioral and psychiatric symptoms that I just previously outlined, um, such as agitation, depression, anxiety, irritability. Then we have a different type of dementia called dementia with Lewy bodies, um, which is also associated with Parkinson's um, disease. And these patients will typically present with visual hallucination. So they will see things that are not there. And they will also have um, sleep disorder, particularly REM sleep disorder. And they can also have um, features of Parkinson's disease. So they can be just rolling their hands, what we call pin rolling, moving very slowly, stuff like that. Um, and there's also vascular dementia, which I talked about previously, which is associated with like a history of strokes. Um, so it's in treating vascular dementia, you have to manage the underlying conditions that can cause strokes to begin with. And again, like stuff like diabetes, high blood pressure, 
bad cholesterol all put you at potential risk for developing vascular dementia since it can increase your risk of having a stroke. And with vascular dementia, it's more like a, um, a step-like a step -like decline. So it's not like Alzheimer, which is gradual over a long period of time. Like vascular dementia, it can happen very rapidly. So that's what we mean by step-like decline. Um, and then there's frontotemporal dementia. Um, this is the rarer type of dementia. It only causes about 5 to 10% of all dementias. And you will have particular issues with um, the deterioration of just behavior. You're gonna, the patient is going to be behaving very inappropriately. They will say inappropriate things. They will curse at you. And they also have what we call hyperorality. So they will just eat consistently. And most of the people with frontotemporal dementia gain weight because they have no ability to you know, stop their hyper, like they just want to eat everything. They will curse at you. They will touch you inappropriately. So the behavioral aspect is really what deteriorates in front of temporal dementia, but it's one of the rarer type of dementias. And now um, talking a little bit more about Alzheimer's dementia, since this is the most common type of dementia, we like to break down Alzheimer's dementia into what we call the four A's, the A's of Alzheimer's. And these A's are called amnesia, apraxia, agnosia, aphasia. So let me just tell you what those things mean. <laughs> um, so amnesia um, literally just means the loss of memory or inability to remember any facts or events. So over time, you will lose your memory completely. You will not be able to even remember who you were married to, remember your children. And that's a very sad part of like Alzheimer's dementia. Um, apraxia is the inability um, to complete previously learned movements. Um, so even like putting on a tennis shoes, you know, like normally we will put on our socks and put on the tennis shoes. But if you lose your apraxia, you won't even remember the steps of being able to do that. Um, and agnosia, um, agnosia can be broken down into visual, auditory, or somatosensory. So visual agnosia is the inability to recognize faces, objects, written words when visualized. So you can literally write ball on a piece of paper and the patient would not be able to know that that word is ball or you can um, show them a picture of someone that they knew and they won't know who that person is anymore or uh, they will not be able to recognize like a lamp if you show them and ask them what is this they will not be able to let you know that this is a lamp also auditory agnosia is the inability to recognize common noises or voices. So even listening to a telephone ring, they will not know that that's the telephone ringing. So even think all oh, like listening to a dog barking, they will not know that that's a dog barking. So losing that ability to recognize very common noises or voices. Um, and then somato somatosensory agnosia, is the inability to recognize an object by feeling it without seeing it. So that means like if you put a key into your hands with your eyes closed and you 
you try to feel the, the object in your hand, normally we'll be able to know that, okay, I have a key in my hand. But with Alzheimer's disease, they will lose that function to be able to know what they actually hold in without seeing it. Um, and that's called somatosensory agnosia. And then lastly, the last A of Alzheimer's disease is aphasia, which can be either receptive or expressive. And this is just the inability to understand or speak logically. So their words or sentences won't be making sense or they won't really be able to understand or comprehend what is being said to them. So those are the big four A's of Alzheimer's dementia. So let's think about management strategies. For instance, patients with dementia, what are some things that they should do? Um, maybe like manage their um, other diseases. What should they eat and not eat? What, what are some things that they can adjust in their lifestyles to help with this memory loss or the other aspects of dementia? Yeah, that's a very good question. So there are some pharmacological treatments or like medication um, that is used in dementia and particularly Alzheimer's disease. However, um, these drugs, um, they may help to slow the progression, but they cannot eliminate it altogether and they, they cannot reverse it. So there is no miracle drug in treating dementia. So it's not like if you take this, you're going to regain all the memory that's lost. It can potentially help to slow the progression of worsening memory loss, but it cannot reverse the damage that has been done. So we focus mostly on really encouraging patients to maintain a healthy diet. Again, the Mediterranean diet, so eating healthy, being physically active, um, because the more physical activity has been shown to help you know, decrease the risk of developing it and even help the progression. As well as most importantly is the cognitive and social engagement and stimulation, which means, you know, like here in America, we have what is called like adult daycare, um, where we send the elderly to like programs during the day. I know all of this is a little bit changed because of the COVID pandemic. So a lot of it is not happening right now, but it's like just so they can have interaction with other people their age and become involved in like doing things that are gonna keep them cognitively stimulated. So even if it's like making puzzles, playing bingo with each other, even reading or having someone read to them, looking at like television shows and stuff like that, just to keep the mind simulated. That's very important and having that social interaction with other people. So um, coming now to the pandemic, why it has been very detrimental, especially to the elderly with, with dementia is because, you know, now they're more socially isolated. And that's one of the worst things that can happen in someone, you know, who have dementia since we actually advocate for like social interaction and cognitive engagement. So it's been especially difficult trying to manage Alzheimer's uh, dementia in those populations because of this pandemic. Yeah, but, but most of most of the treatment is like lifestyle modification and being socially and cognitively impaired. I mean, engaged. 
And also, you could also treat particular disease. Like if someone um, does have a vitamin B12 deficiency, definitely supplement that, treat that a vitamin D deficiency. We're going to want to treat that. Um, anything that can be treatable that can also lead to memory um, impairment, you're going to want to treat. I'm not advocating just going out and eating or taking all these vitamins unnecessarily unless you do have a, a documented deficiency. Absolutely. I think that's a great point you brought up with the, um, the pandemic and its effects on the elderly population. So guys, definitely go check on your parents, grandparents, make sure they're doing okay as frequently as you can. Utilize FaceTime, WhatsApp, and all those other um, engagement technical opportunities that we have to just keep uh, an eye on them when we can. Um, yeah, so to join, to kind of jump into our Mythbuster segment, um, can you tell us, uh, are there any myths you are aware of associated with dementia? Um, so I guess some of the myths is that, you know, everyone is going to eventually get Alzheimer as they age. And that's why I, I paid particular attention to say that it is not a part of the normal aging process. So it is actually a disease state. So like some people, you know, you can lose some cognitive, there can be what we call cognitive decline as you age, but that doesn't mean that you have Alzheimer's. So it's not a term that you just throw wrong like that and said, oh, you have Alzheimer's just because you just have some mild memory impairment because it's, it's a separate process. Um, also, some people think they can take like some herbal medicines and stuff like that, and this is going to cure their memory problem. A lot of the research has not shown that to be true. Um, so that's why we focus on the cognitive interaction and social interaction. Um, and again, there is no medical drug for the treatment of dementia. So there's no quick fix that if you take this medicine, you're going to get back the memory that you had when you were like 20. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Roberts. Any final thoughts on this topic at all? So um, just going back to, you know, the fact that this pandemic has definitely caused special challenges, yeah. special challenges in, you know, treating the elderly and managing dementia. So just please remember the elderly peoples um, in our life yeah. and try to reach out to them, check in on them and, you know, a socially distanced way, but just make sure you check in on them because especially given the pandemic and the isolation. And even now I've seen so many people coming in with worsened anxiety and depression. And unfortunately, even like suicidal ideations and thought just because they're being so isolated. So yeah. reach out to your elderly family members or even if they're not your family members, anyone in your village or neighborhoods, um, just check in on them. Yeah, great advice. Thank you so much. How can our listeners contact you? I'm sure they want to get some more information <laughs> and remain engaged with you and what you have taught us today. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm actually on Instagram. Um, so my Instagram pin is Dr. So D R 
www.priri.com. That's a PVRE. And I'm thinking about looking into a YouTube channel at some point, yeah. um, which is going to be the young geriatrician. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much, Dr. Roberts. We appreciate you. And you are now part of our wellness partners family. So we will be oh. having you <laughs> connected with us. And we hope that you could join us again. Maybe we can talk about another um, aspect of uh caring for the elderly certainly thank you so much for having me this podcast represents the professional opinion of rx rounds and its wellness partners our content is created for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for direct personal and professional medical care or diagnosis please consult your healthcare provider regarding your medical if you enjoyed this episode, visit RX Rounds on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. And we'll see you next rounds on RX Rounds.